0: You are listening listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast.
1: Fly Fishing just gave it such an extra level of substance, I guess, that I finally understood it fulfilled that need for adventure that had been burning a hole in my heart. Hmm. And it has been a nonstop adventure ever since. I have just been, I've never been happier. That's great. And Fly Fishing has really opened that door for me.
2: I don't know just just be at peace at the water is something that i i truly enjoy and i get to share it with alex and kind of show him the things that i know and plus i'm learning from him i mean he is so brilliant when it comes to analyzing things and what do you notice and learning and so it's pushed me to be a better fly fisher and then you know you start getting into okay well what about our local water and so then it really for us, we started looking into all right, how is Texas water work, public versus private? What's happening to our water systems? So, that to me, that's always in the background a little bit is understanding our impact on the, the environment, but not only that, but uh, what can we do to make an impact for others? So, mm-hmm. building these fly rods, yeah, it's super convenient. I mean, I always have a stack of rods to go through, but. Um, The other part of it is being able to share it with others and share this sport. To me, that is grounded in enjoying the outdoors. So that to me is being
3: outside. Get ready for the 2023 fly fishing season with the Fly Crate. We have hundreds of trout, bass, panfish and saltwater flies ranging from the classic elk hair caddis to jigged Euro nymphs. Join thousands of other fly anglers who fish with the Fly Crate. Listeners of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast get 10% off their first order, plus, receive free shipping on all U.S. orders over $45. Order today. Go to www.theflycrate.com and use the promo code FLYFISH97 to save 10%.
0: Bringing the biggest names in hunting, fishing, and the outdoors together in one place. The BC Outdoors Show, March 24 to 26, 2023, at the Chilliwack Heritage Park in Chilliwack, British Columbia. Fly fishing, fly tying, outdoor gear, lodges, fly shops, rods, boats, RVs, and much more. See you there at the BC Outdoors Show, March 24 to 26, in Chilliwack, BC.
3: Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, capturing the fly fishing life, featuring in-depth conversation with fly fishers from all walks of life. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop, your source for all things fly fishing. DamianAndy.com, featuring custom music by Damian Anderson. Find out more at D-A-M-I-O-N-A-N-D-Y.com. Broken Tippet Fly Company for blog and fly fishing apparel, check out brokentippet.com. And Wait For It Films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, visit Wait For It Films on YouTube or at thewaitcreativeco.com.
0: Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Very happy you are joining us and we're gonna do what we love doing on this show and that is finding some people that are passionate about spending time on the water, chasing fins with flies and fur and all that good stuff. And actually, we're going to head out to a beautiful part of the world, Azle, Texas. Just outside of Fort Worth, we've got Holly and Alex Grant on the line from Laughingstock Fly Fishing. These guys are building some custom rods, creating rods for all fly fishers. Rod socks, gadget rods, spay rods. We'll talk all, all about what they're up to. Holly, Alex, thanks so much for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate you taking the time.
2: Yeah, I can't believe, I mean, thank you for reaching out to us. This is an awesome opportunity. Thank you.
0: Let's start at the beginning uh, with you guys. Uh, Holly, let's let's start with you. Where, where did your kind of uh, foray into the fly fishing world begin? Sounds like it might have been a pretty early start in the out, outdoors <laughs> for you.
2: You did your homework, sir. Yeah. So I grew up in a small town called Kremlin, Colorado. And it is part of the golden waters on the Colorado. And on there, ever since I was little, uh, my dad would take me fishing. And recently when I moved down to Texas, I found my baby book and I looked through it. And of course, some of my first words were fish instead of mom or dad, the typical situation. So, (laughs) so fishing has always been kind of a part of the community that I grew up in, being in Colorado. And also we managed, my family managed a ranch, the agricultural side with cattle, but we also managed a fly fishing club. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people would come in, rent cabins, uh, fly fish and all that, uh, fun stuff. But, and then I, when I moved to Texas, um, went to Bass Pro Shop and did not see a very big fly fishing section. So I kind of wasn't sure how to fly fish or how to fish at all here in Texas and kind of put it on the back burner. And all of a sudden I uh, met Alex and I said, you know what, let's try this fly fishing stuff. And that kind of kicked it off. And then I'll let Alex kind of talk about his origin story.
1: Uh, so mine has been an absolute Mistake ridden history of fly fishing. Uh, so, uh, got into it when I met Holly, and so we started going camping together and enjoying the outdoors. And I had always grown up with spin casters and bait caster kind of stuff. And I didn't, it never really clicked for me. It wasn't that exciting until we started fly fishing. And it took me about six weeks of swear words and falling in creeks before I finally got my first little bluegill. And I was just completely, to turn a very common phrase, hooked. Uh, I was blown away. It was some of the most fun I've ever had. And now it's out of control. <laughs> um, up, up to my eyeballs in mud in our creeks and streams around here all the time. Falling in and out. Building rods. It's out of control. But I love it.
0: Love it. So if you guys had to name some people that kind of helped you along the way? Have you, you know, have you guys learned from whether it's guides or just good buddies or, um, you know, like... Who who would you say influenced your learning curve? Holly, let's start with you.
2: Yeah, for me, it started off with my dad. Um, as my late grandfather would say, is that, you know, my dad could catch a fish from the county road. Um, so that was a big part. Um, my dad was a guide for a long time and learned from him. And then my grandpa on my grandpa on my mother's side, um, they were up towards the Blue River on and So going with him, he was always the ornery one. He would always take me with a fly rod, but then put worms on the end of it. And then he'd tell my dad what he did. And they'd always have a little bout about (laughs) what we should be putting on the end of the line. And um, I just remember as a kid, I had this, we called it white lightning. And I could not remember the brand or what it was, just a little white fly fishing pole. And going into these irrigation type fields where the grass is really tall mm-hmm. and you just stick your pole over and you just barely, you know, you would take your little worm and you would just kind of cruise around and try and hide and make sure that those fish didn't see you. And uh, we'd get brookies like crazy.
4: Hmm.
2: Um, so that was a huge influence. And it turns out that my grandpa's ranch or my my grandparents ranch uh, butts up against uh Let's your uh john lecoque who owns fish pond um oh. so like that's kind of so it's just it's a small world where i grew up where fly fishing was a big deal so you know my my family was very into it um and then more recently i'll let alex kind of talk about some people that have taken us out and kind of shown us how to be better fly fishers
1: oh yeah uh we've had a lot of great opportunities to meet some really cool people uh one of the I guess one of the worst kept secrets, but also a phenomenal guy is uh, up on Lake Texoma that is split between Texas and Oklahoma, clearly. (laughs) uh, There is the only fly fishing guide up there by the name of Steve, and I hope I'm saying this right, Holland said, who we booked and we went up there one July uh, to go catch some stripers on that lake. And so we got up there, uh, got out early, put out on the water. He was just a stellar guide from start to finish. And it was only through chatting with him in the first couple hours that we didn't even realize he was one of, I think, only 250 master casting instructors in the world. Wow. And just talking with this guy was phenomenal. He was a retired teacher, (laughs) just absolutely clicked with Holly, who's also a high school teacher and just phenomenal at her job. And those two just went off like crazy, like every teacher set does when they find each other in the wild. But uh, as the day went on, the sun rose, got really hot, fishing kind of died down, the action went down too low for us to really get to. And so he said, you know what, I want to make the most of this for you guys. And so we just pulled off into uh, a little cove, and he anchored the boat, and he says, all right, here's what we're going to do, casting lesson, right now. And so we spent the rest of that afternoon getting an instruction from one of the few master casting instructors. And even just a few minutes with this guy changed so much of our casting skills dramatically, or mm-hmm. I should say just how much of a difference it made, it blew me away. This guy was phenomenal.
0: I love yeah. it. That, you know, oh, yeah. I, Well, I know I've learned bad habits, and I've been doing this a long time, but it's like you do... If you don't learn properly, you develop those bad habits, and you kind of go down your own little style. <laughs> I see it all the time. It's quite interesting. If you, I don't know that any two fly fishers cast alike. Like there always seems to be. I mean, I think the ones that do it really, really well probably are similar. But for the you know the weekend warriors, like most of us, it's um, we could always use a few pointers here and there, right?
4: Oh
2: yeah. Oh, absolutely! I think the the hardest part for me was taking Alex out, and I'm left-handed and he's right-handed, mm-hmm. and so for me, I'm just like just just cast, just <laughs> just do this motion, and he's like, "Wait, what? Don't break your wrist!" And then he's like, "Well, I see you kind of breaking." I said, "Yeah, but like that's the main thing is like don't break your wrist." So I mean, it was a, definitely a test of our relationship early on, wow. <laughs> but you know, it's just one of those things that you. When you develop your own style and you know what works for you, because obviously if you have success, you're like, I'm going to keep repeating it. Yeah. And to try and teach someone else um, who you're especially close with, that was that was pretty funny. But Al- yeah, you're absolutely Al- right.
1: <laughs> Alex
0: Alex sounded surprised. He didn't know it bothered you that much. I could tell. He, did you hear that? Uh, it was awful, you know,
1: but to be the best spouse I can be, I allow her the illusion oh, of being my. the expert. Uh-oh,
0: it's getting thick in here. I yeah, love it. You can't,
2: you, I don't know if you can sense the eye roll, but it's there. lighters are required.
0: I can feel it. I can feel it. So, so <laughs> you guys, not only are you guys obviously married couple, spend a lot of time out on the water together, but now you got this business together. Let's, let's talk about laughing stock fly fishing. How how long have you guys been doing this? And um, tell us a little bit of a story behind uh, these custom rods you guys are building. <laughs> uh,
1: so we actually started this on, what was it, the last day of 2019? Yeah. 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 So uh, that was a whole issue with taxes, but we got that figured out. But uh, so the entire reason we started doing this was because uh, our first time we went down to Port Aransas to go saltwater fishing, I was still very new. That was probably the first year I had been learning, but you know, we, just, we wanted to get into the salt and try it out. So I had a cheap little uh, big box brand uh, from one of the outdoor realtors around here, or uh, retailers, and it was just an eight-way budget thing. Didn't want to invest a bunch into it until I figured out what I was doing. And so I, we went out, and we were in one of the estuaries, and we were just kind of walking along, had our kayaks dragging behind us. Uh, and I had my line in the water and all of a sudden I see this massive redfish jump up out of the water and I thought, man, wouldn't that be the fish of a lifetime to catch? And then I felt my rod tug and I thought, oh (laughs) crap, here we go. Uh, so not knowing what I'm doing, I made one of the worst mistakes you could ever make. But the only thing I knew about fighting big fish was from a guide. Whenever I went spin casting for trout, uh, in Arkansas, he told me if you hook into a brown, big fighters, you know, pull your rod straight up. And everybody who heard that probably just winced really hard. And so my rod snapped like a spaghetti noodle. I ended up trying to pull this fish in hand over hand with my line. Uh, Holly was trudging through all the silt and the mud to try and get to me to help me out, either net the fish or get some photos or something. Uh, But as I was pulling it up to the kayak to try and get a break, it broke the line and got away. And so that was just heartbreaking. So there we were later that year visiting the in-laws, and her dad was talking to me. And he says, hey, you know, uh, you reload, you, you, know, you do some of your own aero building, you do all this weird, stupid stuff. He says, have you ever considered building a rod? And I said, I'd never even thought about it. So we spent the rest of the week watching YouTube videos of people building fly rods. And so while we were there, I found a set on eBay of blanks and had them delivered to the house. So by the time we got home, I had that and some equipment. I took an old cardboard box and cut some V's in the top of it so I could roll the rod blanks in it and uh, made my first rod. And I still fish with that today. That's my primary little creek rod. Uh, Just standard run-of-the-mill, nine-foot, five-weight graphite and it's it was fantastic and it's so thrilling to be it's just like catching a fish on your own fly that you tied or one that you even designed to then catch it on your own rod that you built it's something else Hmm. and it's it's been a hoot ever since so the more i was making these just for my own use and my wife's use uh the more people were kind of asking us about them and they were fascinated by them they said hey do you sell these and we got enough inquiries that i thought you know at the very least i'm just going to go get an llc so we can get on the level so you know IRS doesn't come after us, uh, and come to find out, it's it's a ton of fun. There's a lot of people who are fascinated by it, interested in it. Mm-hmm. We it, we're still just doing it kind of as a weekend project. We just you know we build it in our spare time. We're not trying to make it a livelihood yet, right? But it's a blast, and that lets us keep the passion alive and don't get burned out on it because we're just doing it for fun.
0: Okay, Holly. So are you and Alex? Do you kind of split your time, or is there certain things that you prefer to do in the manufacturing, kind of the building process that maybe Alex doesn't like to do, or vice versa? (laughs)
2: Um, Okay, so a little known fact about Alex. uh, Alex has a tough time with colors. He is colorblind, and so I get to be the eyes for the color. So I get to pick out the thread color, and what combinations work, and what... um, Mm-hmm. what handles would work and so like that's that's the fun part for me but then i'm also very like hey you know what i i can do this like i can build it so of course i have my own little bench over here that i have my own rod building set and i learned how to you know alex taught me how to build a rod and i bought i built this really cute Uh, fiberglass. It's a white rod with turquoise. I mean, it's very me. Mm. And so I built it and it was a little pride project. And so that was fun. So for me, I like the, you know, social media, the networking, Hey, what shows can we go to? So that's more the background part of it. And, um, Alex is the expert when it comes to looking at a rod, uh, deciding its quality, you know, what kind of graphite do we like this? Mm -hmm. Do we like this? Uh, you know, where are we going to put the eyelets? Cause there's a, there's a science to it. Oh yeah, and so I let him do that and I get to enjoy the benefits of it so <laughs> I get to reap the rewards of some custom-built rods
0: I love it yeah a- Alex when you're putting those guides on is it spine I and I struggle with this because uh, full disclosure I had a rod building company very small many years ago and mm-hmm. uh there's a lot of trains, different schools of thought on where a spine should be. Whether it should be at like six o'clock or at twelve o'clock. In your mind, school me on that. Like where, where, where's the best place for that spine to be? Is it on the back cast or is it on the you know the follow through?
1: Well, here's the fun. Uh, there's actually even more variation across the market. So, uh, so there are some companies that will even put it on the ninety degree axis. So three or nine o'clock to mm. it with theory being that it's a lot more forgiving and there's actually some higher end companies that do that allegedly, Hmm. uh, where it'll have an equal cast both forward and back. And that makes it a lot more comfortable and a lot easier for people to feel the load. Uh, so whenever I started out, I kind of, I, I did a lot of that same line of thought as most of the builders out there of, I personally thought I wanted to have the spine on the back of the rod from my casting. So it would have the greatest, leverage i suppose whenever i cast forward Mm -hmm. uh it felt like it suffered a little on the back cast but then i also thought "Ooh, that'll give me the best lifting capability uh once i hook into a fish Mm -hmm. and i played with that for a bit and then i also toyed with putting it to the 90 degree axis and that's how i built uh, my wife's rods because that's how she seemed to prefer the ones that she had used in the past that were more commercial rods and so we've played with that over the years Uh, But actually, come to find out, my best combination that I enjoy doing is I use, on the very tip-top section, I find where it flexes the most, Mm -hmm. and so then I will align it so it gives the most flex to the tip, so you have the most sensitivity, but then the second section, at the very least, and possibly the third section, I'll spine it so it's on the spine at its strongest point, Uh. and that we have yeah you have the power down low Hmm. but you have the flexibility up top that's not exactly secret sauce anybody could have figured that out and i don't even know if it really works a lot of it's pretty academic no but it feels
0: good that's interesting i well and you know i was building two-piece rods so it's very different now you got four pieces and that's what most rods are in this day and age Mm -hmm. it seems it's it's an it's a fascinating game to me like i look at I think, you know, we used to fish with glass back in the day a lot, and then it's kind of retro, it's kind of coming back, and and then it's the high modulus and the extremely crazy high modulus carbon fiber kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. So I assume what you guys do is kind of talk to people and say, what what is your dream rod? What do you want this to look like? Like, how how does your rod build set up? Like, do you have, you know, like three or four custom... Kind of standard builds or is it kind of an open-ended question how do you want this to look?
1: Well because this is my own mental illness, I have probably about 30 rods that I travel with at any given time because who knows what I want to use that day
4: <laughs>
1: uh, but yeah I just I like to build these and I'm finding a lot of our customers just like to see something unusual and unique on our rack that they'll then buy. Otherwise, um, kind of trying to figure out a better way to show exactly what we can do. I thought just having an array of handles and we've got some that are wood, some that are obviously cork, uh, some that are synthetic, like a spongy rubber material. That's very comfortable. The wind grips a lot of people see. Mm-hmm. And then I've got some that are that carbon fiber material. It's very lightweight. Uh, I've got all kinds of links, colors, materials, different thread patterns, uh, but I think a lot of people get overwhelmed, and they think, well, I like that wood handle, but they it's hard to explain how much variety we can find from where we get them, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. They Like, we have some, I've got one here on my rack that I'm working on that has a, a fish jumping out of the water. They see that, and they go, oh, yes, that's the wooden handle. That's the only one that is a wooden handle, so I need one of those. And I tell them, oh, well, I have one that has a deer on it, or such and such. And that it just, it pops a relay and they can't really keep moving forward. So I find that we our most success comes from just having a cool array of different stuff. Yeah. Uh, but we have done custom orders and we love doing those. They're a blast. And so we work with our customers every step of the way, uh, for these rods Hmm. and make sure that it's exactly what they want.
2: And for on my, I guess for me, like when we're going to shows and stuff, um, you know, Alex will take the guys because they're always going to be looking at the rods and all that stuff. But sometimes the wives are just as interested, um, or you know, the the girls or the young girls are just as excited and they want they want to try it, but they're not ready to commit to a big old eight weight striper rod. Like that's that can mm-hmm. be intimidating. So um, you know, I've been kind of getting back into that retro fiberglass a little bit. Um, I mean, it, you still can pull a bass out, at least here in Texas, with a fiberglass or a carp. We've seen that happen. <laughs> and so for me, I, I like the to also promote more women into fly fishing as well because I think it's one of those things that, you know, the biggest stick is going to get the biggest fish. And I don't really agree with that. So mm-hmm. uh, to me, I like to talk to – you know, whoever, it doesn't matter who it is, but I do like seeing like younger girls getting interested in it. Um, because either their older brothers or their dad's into it. Cause that was kind of my story a little bit. So to me, I just want to be a friendly voice and say like, Hey, we can, we can make this rod for you. Because to me, I've noticed that women have a lot more finesse when it comes to casting.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: it's not always the the furthest distance, but they're pretty women tend to be pretty good at the accuracy and so okay well how do we build a rod that is accurate but comfortable that you can go out on the water all day and it's you can use it and feel comfortable and not feel overwhelmed so um that's the other aspect of it too that i that i enjoy Mm
0: -hmm. i always think too holly that those those glass rods look so cool. Like some of the colors, they're just very iridescent and they really stand out in the crowd. You know, have you guys seen a bit of, of that kind of retro fly fishing technology kind of sneaking in a bit? Uh,
1: Absolutely. That's what we've been talking about and actually we're working towards. We have a number of them on the rack that I'm working on currently uh, because we've seen that return to that and people are blown away by it. And the really cool thing is the fiberglass of even 20, 30, 40 years ago is not the same as it is today. Hmm. Uh, uh, I actually went with a group where we take uh, men that have uh, cancer that they're working through and we take them out in the water and fish with them and, you know, kind of get their minds off of what they're going through for a day or two. And in in the meantime, I'm a fishing buddy for one of these participants and he had his 45 year old rod that's been hanging up in his boat shed for a while. And so as he's fishing, he wanted to use that and was very adamant about it. And I said, absolutely, let's do it. Uh, he was struggling with his casting for a bit. And I, I kind of chalked a lot of it up to, maybe he's just rusty. We're going to knock that off and and get him up to speed. And finally, when he broke off a fly, I said, here, take mine. Use that one while I'm rigging yours up. And all of a sudden, when he starts casting, and this is not because of my rod, personally, I want to say that, but just with a more modernized rod, he all of a sudden had one of the cleanest casts I've seen in years. And he was phenomenal. He was absolutely phenomenal with it. Mm. And come to find out, I after a minute or so watching him, I said, hey, do you mind if I cast yours while you're working with that one? He said, go for it. And I got to tell you, shaking that thing felt like a dead stick in my hand. <laughs> and so, you know, they may have been the latest and greatest at the time, but things have, have really changed. Oh, yeah. uh, kind of like. A lot of folks used to avoid wanting to have a four-section or a five-section rod, even in graphite, because Mm -hmm. they felt like it it didn't have the the crispness or the fast action. Well, that's kind of a thing of the past. Nowadays, with more modern graphite, there's very little distinction between a four-section and even sometimes a one-piece. Now, the purists are going to jump me for that, but uh, I would say there's very little distinction. I won't say there's none.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, I totally feel what you're saying there. Like I was mm-hmm. one of those guys back, you know, quite a few years ago. I, I remember that mentality. It's like, why would I want a four-piece rod? Um, when a two-piece rod is probably going to be a little more, you know, you have more feel, it's a little more immediate. There's just, mm-hmm. there's just, you know, less, there's more contact with you and the fish, it's, it seemed, but now, like you say, the technology has totally changed. Rods, I find the rod game fascinating, and I, I think, Really, I always thought really good casters kind of go towards the retro glass. People mm-hmm. like, uh, but people love fast action too. And I, I know for me, I feel stronger and I feel I can pump it out there more <laughs> with with a you know something that's got some spine and some you know on the faster side. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's unless you cast with glass, you don't really get it, do you? It's a different animal. Yeah,
1: and glass is. Um absolutely wonderful tool for those newbies out there because nothing loads as cleanly and as smoothly and as obviously as a fiberglass rod yeah you feel every movement that line makes Hmm. and it really has been a great educational tool for a lot of our people who are starting out and so i uh you know typically for people who are buying their very first rod i'll tell them go get you one off the shelf don't don't invest the money in mine yet Make sure that this is something you want to do because you're probably going to break a rod or two. I know I've broken several before I kind of got into the swing of things. And God knows I'll probably break several more down the road. But in the meantime, go ahead and try it. Make some mistakes. But at that point, yeah, let's talk. And fiberglass is a very affordable, very interesting, fascinating way to get into it. And they are fun as all get out. I'm finishing up the the one that's my primary that I'm working on here is a little seven weight or sorry seven foot three weight, hmm. which is just a phenomenal creek rod for any of the bluegill or panfish that we have around here. A little uh, green sunfish, mm-hmm. it is a blast, and it makes it feel like you have a shark on the end of the line every time you hook into one of these little guys.
0: Is that the same up here? We got they call them pumpkin seed fish or something. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, yeah in that same family. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're pretty, they're almost tropical looking little guys. Hmm. Yeah, they're we hoot. We've got on the line tonight Holly and Alex Grant. Uh, they're joining us from just outside of Fort Worth, Texas, uh, Azel, Texas to be specific. Laughing Stock Fly Fishing. Check them out online. Uh rod socks, all kinds of uh fly rods, custom made. Um guys, I want to take some time to get to know you off the water. You ready for a few uh different questions to get to know your day-to-day? Yeah. All right. Let's start with you, Holly. Tunes. So if you're driving in the truck on the way there, what's playing on the stereo?
2: Um. Well, we actually have a tradition that if we're going to go out on the water, we like to listen to Boston. But we have to be within like a 50-mile radius of like the fishing spot. So that's... That's just our superstition for some reason that seems to work for us. And it was a, a friend of ours who recommended it, and it seemed to work for us. But <laughs> uh, we are also – for me, I love uh, Greta Van Fleet. Yeah. Um, just the, kind of the – I grew up on classic rock. There was two radio stations in my hometown, classic rock and country. And so growing up, it was classic rock for me. So the Greta Van Fleet just – I don't know. For some reason, that is our travel music. That
4: so note. yes, exactly. What,
0: what's the Boston song? Is it more than a feeling, or is it? I mean, they got so many songs, but what what song is it in particular gets you guys ready for the water? Uh, that I mean,
1: pretty much the greatest hits album. It was yeah. more of a, I don't know how you, I don't know if joke's the right word, but a meme of a, a very good friend of ours who lives out in Texarkana. We went fishing with him. And we had a a skunk incident for the very first body of water that we went on to. And when we got back into the car to go to the next area, he said, nah, I know what I did. I know exactly what went wrong. And so then he started cranking out Boston. By the time we got to the next spot, all of a sudden now we're we're in the midst of it. We're (laughs) catching fish hand over fist. Uh, So it's pretty much their greatest hits album.
0: Those guys, I think they were a three-piece band, if I remember correctly. And they never really toured. They were a studio band. But man, yeah, they had... if
1: I recall, they, didn't they do a lot of their recording in somebody's basement?
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know the full the full. Yeah, that rings a <laughs> bell, actually. But yeah, they, they would not it would not be a band. You say, oh, I saw them because they, they just didn't tour Um, more of a studio band. But man, did they write some hits. I love it. Now, are, are you on the same page, Alex? Like, or are you just kind of going along with what Holly says on the stereo? I mean, I'm not well, assuming well, see, it's I'm... the same thing.
1: I'm more of a rush guy, but oh. you know, you, you'd have
0: to... <laughs> okay gotcha um yeah
1: we we just had a we had a hoot with that, and yeah, any kind of prog rock's a pretty good way to go,
0: yeah, right on. I thought for sure you guys would be have at least a little country going on there i mean there's a there's a yeah. few songs named Fort Worth that I could think of, or at least is in the title. <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
2: We're, we're kind of the, the classic rocks, I guess for yeah. us. Um, yeah, there is a lot of country and there's a lot of great country and there is Billy Bob's and all the famous, you know, honky tonk bars for sure. But yeah. that get that gets played quite a bit. So we, we kind of yeah. stick to our own.
1: Yeah. But when they come out with a song titled, she thinks my fly rod's sexy. We <laughs> <play>
0: Rod. <laughs> Kenny's probably on that. Um, <laughs> let's talk, uh, patterns. So, um, Let's start with you, Alex, on this. What's a go-to fly pattern for you? And we probably should pick a species here because I know you guys are chasing lots. But let's say you're you're fishing for pumpkin seed, uh, sunfish. What, what are you throwing out there?
1: Prince nymph all the way.
0: Wow. How small? That
1: thing. That, well, uh, I do have one of my own that uh, was in my early days whenever I was trying to make a woolly booger, uh, just from what I had seen, and I had no idea what I was doing. And so it was a very simple... Uh, just a black chenille body with some flash on the back end and then tie a soft tackle back toward the f- front.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, for some reason, they eat that like candy. It's on any hook you want to tie it on. Nymph, streamer, I use barbless now because uh, that way, I mean, you just catch them hand over fist so fast. That way you can just flip the hook, guy falls off into the water again, and you're back mm-hmm. into the water right away. But uh, as far as stuff that is recognizable, Prince Nymph and uh, what? what's the... Uh, copper johns uh pheasant tail was oh, the yeah. other one yeah that works really well mm-hmm. down here just in all of our little, we have a little creek that she was mentioning in a church parking lot and it is just filled to the brim in good years uh with bluegills pumpkin seeds long-eared sunfish all the little guys mm-hmm. and it's got bass and carp and whatnot and catfish and we've caught everything off of those and then there's
2: also been alligator guard oh In there as well. So it's just, it is a random creek. It's a random tributary of the Trinity River. And so if anything starts migrating north of the Trinity, it seems to catch it. So, um, but yeah, that's been pretty fun. But yeah, there's, we also down here, Flash is king. And so, you know, Alex mentioned the Prince Nymph, but there's something called formerly known as Prince Nymph. And it's got just, it's same pattern, but it's got a little flash on it. And it is insane how aggressive those pumpkin seeds are on it, for sure. Um, You know, for us, bass has kind of eluded us a little bit. You know, we've tried leech patterns or um, egg patterns or things that would intimidate, you know, or get the bass to be more predatory. And we're just, we're kind of struggling with that. But uh, we do have a friend that is going, who's, way more he has way more expertise than we do um but he's going to come and see us this weekend so we're we're excited to see some of his flies and um he made this really awesome bluegill pattern fly that um if you wouldn't know it it looks like a bluegill so uh we're Mm. excited to try that out this weekend with some we had some rain down here but uh the streams are looking good so we're excited to try it out this weekend
0: So when you fish those patterns in in kind of your go-to home water, are are you fishing that at all under an indicator? Is it strictly kind of uh, on a dry line that's slightly weighted? What does that look like?
1: It's a bobber and you know it. Uh, (laughs) uh, No, we we typically... We try and do a lot of sight fishing, so there's not as much indicators needed. Uh, We do that a lot when we go, say, to places that we're not familiar with, and especially if we have a guide. If the guide says put an indicator on, we slap the indicator on. No two ways about it. But, uh, yeah, we're a little bit stuck up about that, and we try and do it. So we've probably missed a lot of fish because of it. But uh, usually when our creeks clear up and we have a nice sight line, especially when we're going for those little pumpkin seeds and bluegills. Mm -hmm. you got to be lightning fast on the reaction and waiting for that indicator. You're already too late. And so being able to see the fly itself when they go for it and just barely kiss it and then you strip that thing in a little bit it, that's key, is being able to see what you're doing. Hmm.
2: And then, Alex, do you want to talk about the stripers, too? Because we have a big
1: striper population
2: around us. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, there's uh, so Texoma, I believe, is one of only a few lakes around here that's able to sustain them year-round. But we have Possum Kingdom Lake that's about an hour away from us to the west and slightly north. Uh, but there is a stri- a hybrid striper population that is in the Brazos River that's off the spillway from that lake. And honestly, that is still some of my favorite fishing that we have done thus far is when we're in that river down inside the canyon, uh, you get out there on a f- cool fall morning where the wind's still blowing in a little bit, cool breeze, but the sun's baking on the stones and hooking into these massive fish. I mean, easily 26, 27 inches, just what we were finding uh, in our one spot and just one after the other with these nice bait fish patterns. Uh, it's some fantastic absolutely fantastic fishing
0: that's on my list and uh, unfortunately where i'm at we don't have stripers i i do know people um that that fish for them religiously because i it it does sound a little bit addictive almost like the red the red fish thing you know
1: oh yeah it feels like saltwater fish hitting your your rod it is so impressive
0: cool Let's. I mean, I know Texas is a huge sports state, and it sounds like, Holly, sports was a big part of your life growing up. But I want to know who you guys are cheering for. So, um, you know, is it a college team? Is it a pro team? Is it football? Is it baseball? Well,
2: you know, with you being in Canada and me, you know, growing up around hockey, I am an Avs fan. So ah. I don't know if that causes a riff or not but I am an Avs fan. So go Avs! And, you know, I, growing up in Colorado that the Broncos were it, you know, the Mm. Broncos football team was the team. And then, uh, the, the Rockies baseball, who I feel are more of a feeder team than they are, um, Mm. at like an actual MLB, but, um, yeah. Mm. And then even the, the mammoth lacrosse, I mean, I was, Diehard Colorado sports, and then I moved to Texas, <laughs> and it, if if it's not the Cowboys, you're wrong, and I I think I'm in the wrong.
4: <laughs> uh-uh. so,
2: <laughs> so I I'm always so I teach you know so I teach high school kiddos, so of course they always wear the the stars gear, and I was like, you guys, like the the last time the Cowboys won a Super Bowl, there was floppy disk were still in use, so like let's <laughs> calm down before you start talking about the Cowboys, and that just fires oh. them right up.
0: I can only imagine, so it's orange it's orange and blue for you sounds like
2: yes, very much so. Yeah. just in, like a car out of sunset, as they say.
0: I'm in that boat, been a mile high, and watched watch your Broncos probably three times, actually, and man, I just I, I don't know it was back from the Elway days and, and that it's, it's just, I, I'm, it's hard to be a Broncos fan this year though. It's been bit- uh,
2: very much. So that was um not mm-hmm. a fun season for us. No, a um, lot of changes, but I'm excited. We'll, we'll see about our new owner and new, new, yep. new staff. We'll see what happens. John
0: Payton's going to be, uh, he's going to have something to say about that.
2: So. Uh, very much so. Yes. So, uh, you know, whatever happens happens at that point, but um, yeah,
1: Colorado's in for, for a change. Yeah. So we'll
0: see. Alex, what about you?
1: I'm going to level with you, Mark. I was on my school's math team from fifth grade till I graduated. <laughs> so I'm going to defer to Holly on this one.
0: <laughs> too, you guys kill me. I love it. <laughs> and we say opposites attract. Oh All right. yeah. yeah. All right on. Um Okay. So, you know what, what, what's your favorite place to talk fishing like and you guys this is your kind of i mean i know you have day jobs and 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 this is your passion and and you're doing shows and you're doing you know social media but if you guys had to sit back and look and say this is where i get my fix on fishing when i'm not actually out there where would it be in your mind
1: um actually and this is kind of oddly convenient but um So, we have a show this weekend that we're going to here in the Fort Worth area. It's put on by the uh, Trinity Regional Water District, and it's the Fly Fest that's out here on the Trinity River. And it is just a one-day show, but it is a blast. We went for a couple of years just as fly fishers visiting, uh, but then when we got our business up and going, we started becoming vendors. So, last year was our first year there, and we've done a couple of the big shows in convention centers and whatnot, where you're away from the water and maybe you've got a casting pond to show off, but it's just not the same as being there in the event. And so we are so excited for it this Saturday, uh, where we just get to talk fishing all day, and it's nonstop. Uh, Plus, there is the river right next to us where we get to see the tournament going down, where they've got multiple teams from different areas coming to catch the biggest fish, the most fish. Uh, they stocked the river the day before with, um, now their farm-raised, but hey, Trout's Trout for fun, right? Mm-hmm. But um, it is just a blast, and it's families coming out, it's professionals coming out, big names in the circuit, uh, all kinds of stuff, plus little little tiny businesses like our own that we're just coming out to meet people, talk to people, and hey, if you're interested, pick up a rod kind of thing. And we're just so stoked, and so that's what our friend's coming out to visit us for, is he is actually one of the tires in the Pro Tent. And so we get to go with our friend who is also going to be a representative there. And I am just so excited for it. Yeah. Mm.
2: And you know, that's, that's kind of the main, like when we're vending and stuff, but you know, for us, whenever we go to a new place, like fly fishing, um, we are ones that we go to a general area where like, okay, we want, we're going to put a, a pin in where we want to go. Mm-hmm. And then once we get to a local area, um, so for example, we went to Yellowstone and um, the Bozeman area last October. And we are like, Hey, we know that Southwest flies there. So let's just go there and try it out. So we go and we were like, okay, well there is a bunch of rivers. There's a bunch of fly shops. And so for us, going and talking to local people whether it is at a local bar or like just a fun hangout or the local fly shops um for us that's to me we get to talk about it we don't mention our business or anything we just kind of say like well what's good here what's fun and it's just the community of you know not not really gatekeeping spots you know for us we're just like okay well You know, for us, we want to go try a new spot and go try this. And so when people give us some areas, we're like, okay, we'll we'll try this. And then we'll go up and down the stream and try some more areas. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I I like the locality of anywhere that we kind of go. You know, one of our favorites, (laughs) we went down to Port Aransas and we went to a little fly shop there. And it just so happened that the guy that was tying flies there knew a guy in Fort Worth that we were close with. And so given everybody just a hard time about flies and fishing and who's better, it's just, to me, it's a community. And so I I don't know, I guess to me it's stay local. Um, and that, that does tie into what Alex was saying is that they do a fly fest here locally in Fort Worth, which is not known for its trout waters. Um, but the fact that they can bring awareness and, uh, talk about conservation and all that fun stuff and it's for everybody, it's easily accessible, um, -hmm. makes it, a little
1: close to our hearts. Yeah. It's a small world, but we're all over the globe. Yep.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I I find there's a lot of kindred spirits in fly fishing. Let's face it. It doesn't matter where the show is in North America you go to, or, or globally, you're going to find a lot of common interests and just usually some really good people that just want to talk. Yeah. yeah.
2: Some of the best people for sure.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, and honestly, uh, you know, since COVID, it seems like everything's now kind of getting somewhat back to normal and, and these shows are becoming realities because I, I used to go to the fly fishing show m- most years and the the small show, there's a small one that's just outside of Seattle we used to go to. They haven't had it in a couple of years, so I've really been missing that. But uh, I know that the big ones are still going and they're, it sounds like uh, you guys are kind of ready to start your show season. Is, is that something you guys plan on doing a little more in the future um more shows
1: we don't do a whole lot of big ones we actually have a lot more fun with the the smaller more localized events Mm -hmm. uh this this fort worth one's kind of biggest one we're gonna do at least for the year so far Uh, we do some around christmas time more at craft shows and whatnot those those are actually a lot more of a surprise than we expected we met a really cool family that just wanted to talk shop all day, and we had a blast with them back in, what was it, early December or late November? Early December, yeah. Yeah, just here in our small town, which mm. we thought nobody's going to want fly rods, but hey, we went. It's here, it's local, it was five minutes away, and it was just the most fun.
2: And the families, it was so cute because the families were like, oh, well, I'm going to get a fly rod for so-and-so for Christmas because they were interested in it. And we're like, really? Okay, cool, whatever you guys want. And then... then unbeknownst to their family, the other family member came and bought one for them. So like it just, it ended up being about four, four fly rods that went to this family. And so <laughs> it was just, it was really cute. So, you know, to us, that just makes us happy seeing that is getting into getting our rods in the hands of people that truly enjoy it as a sport or just enjoy it as a hobby, not necessarily out for competition is what we're noticing.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, why, why do you do this, Holly? Like wh- what do you get out of, you know, building these rods, spending all this time on the water? What do, what do you think it brings into your into your wheelhouse?
2: Um, for sure a sense of nostalgia. Growing up on the river was a big thing. I mean, whether for me in high school, I worked with the Division of Wildlife and studied whirling disease and was one of the forefront, like I was just a young kid, but went out on the Division of Wildlife Boats and dumped all these fish out and learning about water and what does it mean to be environmentally conscious or to learn about how conservation works and the importance of that. And so that kind of tricked my brain to really enjoy biology and science and environmental systems. And uh, that that was my degree was in biology. And ideally, I was wanting to be a veterinarian and, uh, you know, did a pre med kind of degree, then I played college volleyball. And so uh, just a crazy chain of events uh, led me to be becoming a coach. So um, coached volleyball. And so then I moved to, you know, Texas, which is a very sports oriented, orientated state, but still had my background in the sciences. And so I was a science teacher in coaching. And, um, you know, for me coming back and I actually got out of coaching recently, it just, it was really time consuming and I still love my kids and all that fun stuff, but to be back out on the water and to see, I don't know, just, just be at peace at the water is something that I, I truly enjoy and I get to share it with Alex and kind of show him the things that I know. And plus I'm learning from him. I mean, he is so brilliant when it comes to analyzing things and what do you notice and learning. And so it's pushed me to be a better fly fisher. And then, you know, you start getting into, okay, well, what about our local water? And so then it really, for us we started looking into all right how is texas water work public versus private what's happening to our water systems so that to me that's always in the background a little bit is understanding our impact on the the environment but not only that but uh, what can we do to make an impact for others so hmm. building these fly rods yeah it's super convenient i mean i always have a stack of rods to go through but Um, the other part of it is being able to share it with others and share this sport to me that is grounded in enjoying the outdoors so that to me is being outside
0: yeah well said um alex um i'm sure you're thinking along the same lines but maybe not what what does fly fishing do for you
1: um for me i grew up reading books about all the amazing places in the world and all the crazy adventures that are out there and the amazing people that are out there. And I had a family that weren't super outdoorsy. We'd go, you know, when I was little, we'd go camping maybe once a year with the the local church. And then that turned into every other year and then every three years. And then it just kind of stopped altogether. All the while, my hunger to go explore, to go see the world kept growing. And I didn't have an outlet for that. I didn't have a way to figure out How to satisfy that? Hmm. And then finally, after I met Holly and we started going camping, we started traveling, we started going to see these things and meet these people. Fly fishing just gave it such an extra level of substance, I guess, that I finally understood it fulfilled that need for adventure that had been burning a hole in my heart. Hmm. And it has been a nonstop adventure ever since. I have just been, I've never been happier. That's great, and fly fishing has really opened that door for me.
0: That's awesome. Um, I like to talk jobs on this. Now I know you guys also have day jobs. Um, what's are you doing? Your best jobs now, Holly. Let's start with you. Is are you? Is this the best gig so far for you?
2: Uh, so far, yeah. Um, I would have never dreamt when I was in college of being a teacher. Or I would have never, I would have never thought of it. And so for me to get into the coaching and making that impact on students and, you know, and then kind of getting away from the coaching, but still, you know, for me, I work in a, a tough school district. A lot of kids need a lot of, a lot of help. Mm -hmm. And to me, being able to help these kids get out of their circumstances is the most rewarding job and the most stressful job. I've ever had. But um, I do know that every time I come home, I'm excited to see Alex, but I am also, you know, also typing letters of recommendation for kids to get into college or um, talking to kids about, hey, their home life and what can we do to help and Mm -hmm. or kids are excited to see their friends and to have a community because schools provided that for them. So you know, that's, that's the teaching side of it, but then I'm very lucky because I get to teach what I enjoy to teach. So I get to teach, uh, biology and I'm the head of the science department and I have some great colleagues who are awesome and we just get to talk science all day. And then Um, I also work with the University of Texas. Um, I teach what they call an on-ramps class. And so I work with UT and I'm certified. So kids will not only get high school credit, but they also get college credit from UT uh, by taking my geoscience course. And so to me, to provide opportunities for kids that may not have gotten that before, um, yeah, it would be. It, it's going to be tough to get me out of the, the teaching field. I mean, it's it's tough, but um, it's something that I feel that I I am made for. I've been teaching for eleven years, and yes, I could easily go do something else if it works out. But I also know that it would be it would leave a big hole in my heart to get out of teaching. So I, I would have to do some sort of outreach, some project, um, in order to fill that, that gap. But, um, no, I, I couldn't imagine, uh, doing anything else right now.
0: What What's the worst gig you've ever had that you're willing to talk about?
2: Ooh, let's see here. I've had some pretty, pretty interesting stories. Like when I was in, when I was in Colorado, um, you didn't have to be a, a teacher to be a coach. So for me, I was, uh, I worked at a liquor store and then went and coached young kids. (laughs)
4: So
2: so that was always an an interesting thing. But I mean, even right out of college, I was, um, coaching and teaching and and working with kids. So, um, that kind of, that kind of diverted me here. I was trying to think of anything else. I mean, I grew up on a ranch, so that's obviously really tough work. And Mm -hmm. I spent all my summers, Um, out in Colorado, which is, I'm not complaining by any means, but it was, you know, learned how to run four string barbed wire in the Rocky mountains and (laughs) raise cattle and worked and, you know, gave up your summers for that. But would I change it? Absolutely not. Um, I definitely learned a lot from it. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I could say that every job I've had, it was a learning opportunity. I don't, I don't think I had a a crazy job. Now, Alex, on the other hand might have a a different story, but no, (laughs) I've been, I've been pretty lucky
0: alex sounds like you might be sitting on a story over there
1: uh well fortunately a lot of that's secret squirrel so i can't talk too much about it. but uh no currently i work on a quality team for a company that builds helicopters okay. that are being flown around the world uh, a lot of say ranches use them wildlife preserves as well as police departments use them they're little light craft that have a lot of lifting power mm-hmm. but i think what she's referring to is uh a uh, uh, for the last few years, before I got this job, I was working for a company that built uh, what, be, come, come to find out, was uh, parts for spacecraft. Oh. We built rocket nozzles and heat shields for satellites. And the the cool crossover here, it's not just me trying to humble brag my way into it, but the material system that, that we use there, uh, one of the lead engineers just mentioned one day, said, oh, yeah, this is the same kind of stuff they put in fishing rods. <laughs> You know, I perked right up at that. I said, what? And he says, well, I mean, it's not the exact same thing, but it's similar enough that, you know, it's familiar properties. And so I immediately did a deep dive into it and come to find out, yeah, it's a very similar process in how these graphite rods are made as the the spacecraft that we were building components for. Uh, they go through their impregnation and heat cycles and go in these intense furnaces and whatnot. It was really incredible to be kind of running parallel to that, Hmm. Uh, and yet at the end of the day, I get to put my hand on something that I I say, "Hey, this is going on a rocket," and then I come home and I pick up a a fishing rod that I'm building and go, "Aha! It's the same thing." (laughs) (laughs) So that was just a kind of cool collision of two worlds.
0: That is, I love it. Um, So uh, let's—I want to take it back to your to your business, um, as far as you know you're building these rods, uh, laughing stock fly fishing. We've got Holly and Alex Grant on the line, uh, doing a deep dive, uh, into, uh, the Fort Worth area, kind of find out their day to day. It sounds like, sounds like you guys are chasing a lot of pan fish. Talk to me about the fishing that you're doing with these rods in your backyard. Is, is there, you mentioned there's maybe not a lot of trout fishing. What, what's the bass fishing like?
1: Uh, the bass fishing is pretty good. It's, uh, you know you'll get the little guys in the creeks there's some lunkers out there but a lot of the real nice bass fishing is going to be in the lakes Mm -hmm. which all fly fishers know that's going to be sometimes a little bit tricky because of the depth issue and uh and so trying to get down low enough gets a little bit difficult so sinking lines and depth charge kind of stuff's pretty much king Mm -hmm. but um yeah uh like I say, the, those stripers are still some of my favorite fishing. Yeah, that sounds and amazing. And those to be pretty good size.
0: Oh. Good stuff, it, Holly. I want you to paint us a picture of your perfect day. Like, if if you guys are headed out to the water, walk us through and kind of you know describe the type of water you're fishing, the the type of patterns you might be throwing. Is there something cold to drink at the end of the day? <laughs> Is there, you know what?
2: Oh, I have. I have to admit, I live my favorite day in when we went to Montana. So it was just one of those things. And I keep talking about nostalgia, but we landed there in Bozeman and all I see is mountains around me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like this is home. And I literally like when we landed, I teared up because I felt like that. Yep, this is it. So we went in the fall. The colors had just like they have a bunch of hayfields um out there so that they just cut the hay and but there's snow on the peaks and the aspens and all the cottonwoods are this bright yellow red color and the leaves are starting to fall and cold crisp mornings where you can see your breath and I just oh I just that was that that was just the beginning and then you know we had a great vehicle and we took it off road a little bit and went to a spot that Uh, the local guide kind of recommended for us. And I mean, there's just miles and miles of public spots to pull off and you just throw a line in. So Alex and I went to one of these public kind of spots to start off and we, we could see it was kind of not overfished, but not a lot going on. So, you know, here we are, we get our waders and our boots and we're all ready. And so we, we probably walked maybe one to two miles down the river, just looking for any sort of fun, uh, dark choppy water you know that fall water that's just nice and cold and those fish are just you know the browns are spawning and we're like okay this is this is it so we go and we found this kind of it was almost an irrigation ditch and so we go off to the side and of course i'm making sure my little brain i'm like if it's an irrigation ditch is this a rancher's property are we on public private so of course that was running through my head and so we figured out okay this is public and we go to this big kind of open pool and so this water's kind of stagnant a little bit there but running into it is this beautiful um just all these nice rocks. And you're like, oh there's gotta be some sort of fish in here. So we go and we're fishing and we're fishing and I look over and Alex has hooked up to this beautiful Brown and no, it's not my fish. I get it. But just to see like here, I'm looking and I see our rods being used by both of us And he's bringing in his first Montana fish and there's these beautiful fall colors around us with snowberries. And I mean, it just, it was one of those things that you just take a snapshot in your brain and I just, I can't unsee it. Um, So, you know, for us and we're, our noses are red and we're, we're chilly, but we get the fish in the net and uh, you know, I unhook it and look at it and I'm just like, this is epitome us. There was not, a person around us for miles. And, you know, we, uh, you know, got a little worried, about make sure there's no grizzly bear kind of thing or moose. But um, to me, it was just, it was about the adventure of going and just Alex and I like going and just exploring and doing our own thing. And um, we do that quite often. And, you know, for me growing up, that's, that's part of the deal. I would always fish by myself or find these cool places and just say like, yeah, this this is where I want to be. That was That's my zen. And so to me, then we're, we're done and then we go find a fun local brewery that has some good local stuff. And we're just like – we reflect on the day and it just – boom. To me, that was the perfect day. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can ever emulate that again, but – I do think that the way that Alex and I go fishing is definitely, we don't typically get guides. So it's just us. So when we get a fish, it's like, yes, that is us. We got this. So I don't know. I, that's, it's a little cheesy, but to me that was,
0: that would
2: be a day, you know, I wish I could relive that day.
0: I'm sure you will. Alex, uh, was it the same day or (laughs) it sounds like a pretty good day, but, um, what's, what's your perfect day look like out there?
1: Uh, so, a little backstory, I have this stupid long 15-foot, 10-weight spay rod that I bought last year to put together, and I dilly-dallied and kicked around and stalled and delayed for all year until I finally got this stupid thing put together. And so the perfect day will be when we go up north and get to the spot, get that perfect cast with a perfectly loaded line, let that thing hit the water, set the hook let the reel sing and then finally land that first salmon or that first sturgeon and then i could finally look my wife in the eye and say this is why i made this (laughs) dumb thing Uh,
4: so his is a someday
2: for sure
1: yeah like i say that fishing on the brazos on that nice crisp fall morning and uh her father had told us about a tradition that he learned from his uh guides over in norway Norway, yes where whenever they catch a fish, their first fish or every fish they catch on the river, uh, they would take a shot of whiskey out of a flask or scotch, and then now they would pour out a shot into the river for the river. But, you know, that's good scotch, so I'm not going to do that. But uh, that was actually fun. I took a little tiny one with me that morning, and uh, first fish I caught, I took a pull with my side scotch because it's got spay right there in the middle of it. But uh, it was just a, a moment of kind of clarity to sit back and enjoy and realize nobody else lives like this, it feels like. It feels like you're the only people in the world who do this kind of stuff hmm. just for that instant. And it it's beautiful. I really enjoy it.
0: I got to say, you're, you're painting the you're – both you are painting these beautiful pictures. And I'm sitting there in my mind going, it's all, you know, it's kind of retro and you're back in the – you know the back forty, and all of a sudden you got this thing in your hand that's the same thing that's on the space shuttle or some rocket or some. <laughs> it's it's like, surreal. That's isn't exactly it? Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. I love it.
2: Yeah. And it, you know, it, the frustrations. You know, Alex, he he'd be like, "Man, I didn't really get this this eyelid on just right for you, or whatever." And then I'm looking at it, and it's the most perfect rod for me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, "This is this is great." And you know, here I am catching fish with a bright pink fly rod with. Cool. purple thread on it i'm like yeah that's very me like that's is that, that's us is that the pink and the
0: pink lady nine foot four that's, or five yes
2: <laughs> so i've made a couple of those because you know when we were getting i was like okay well what am i gonna what's my contribution I was like yeah well let's get a couple pink rods and and dress them up but yeah um the the og one that he built me was a really cool pink one so with hmm. some purple on it and um that's that's always just super duper fun
0: <laughs> good stuff um so so let's talk about the rods like your staples like kind of that your 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 bread and butter if you will um alex maybe you can chime in on this um so we just talked about the pink lady which uh you can see on your website um the skagit rod spay rod walk us through the other rods you have
1: Yeah. um, Now, while I started out with a lot of nine foot five weights, which is kind of just the bread and butter or the workhorse of the fly fishing world. Yeah, I really just I have a thing where I don't like to do what everybody else is doing. And that leads me down some really weird paths sometimes. Uh, And so I just I was fascinated one day, one day by the idea of spay casting. And I just like big rods. And so monkey brain says, let's do that. And so I just started making a couple of those. And it's, it's hilarious and it's fun. It's a totally different type of fly fishing. Uh, I guess they're cousins of one another rather than siblings, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But uh, I enjoy it. I'm not very good at it, but I'm still trying to figure it out as I go. But we do all kinds of switch. Uh, we do little creek rods. We do a little bit of everything. Uh, oh, yeah. And one of the fun things that I kind of learned, it was... And a very agonizing moment when we were at a local fly shop and we were doing a free fly tying class, a gentleman came in, customer who was asking some of the staff, he said, hey, I'm looking for a six weight with a fighting butt. And they said, oh, nobody makes those. And my wife had to hold me back in my chair because I had one <laughs> in progress in my car at that moment that I could go out and say, here, you want to see what one looks like? And it's just little things like that, that little bit of customization that who knows if a fighting butt at that weight class really would make a difference. Yep. But that person would have that rod and know that's their rod. They pick that. They decide on that. That's what they wanted. And that helps out a lot. People really take to that.
0: Well, I, I think that's the cool thing about custom rods. You're getting what mm-hmm. you want, which, mm-hmm. who's to say that, you know, like fighting butt shouldn't start at a four weight or a five weight? It's just not mm-hmm. normally done, right? Doesn't mean it's wrong.
1: Yeah. One of my favorites that I had to let go with was a little eight foot, five weight fiberglass. Hmm. And it was just fun as all get out. One of my best creek rods I've ever had, but somebody wanted it. So uh, we made a deal on it. And it was a phenomenal little rod. I'll have to build a clone to it. Part of the problem though, is I never want to rebuild the same rod exactly the same way. Yeah. Cause to me that cheapens the, the customness of the one that I sold to somebody. Hmm. So I always try to make it a little bit different.
0: Does it, does it help your, your tying, your fishing, your rod building, having, it sounds like summers are kind of maybe a little more wide open for you guys. Time wise. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah. Summers are pretty rough. And last year was exceptionally rough around here. And- For heat wise. Yeah. yeah. So
2: fishing is actually not good here in Texas nope. in the summer. Okay. So that is the time that we need to like dip out and go, go somewhere else. Um, you know, we've gone to Steamboat Springs in July, uh, which was awesome. Phenomenal. But, you know, last year, last summer for everybody was just really dry. I mean, and that's the other thing that we take into consideration is when we're going to an area, we look and we don't want to put pressure on fish if we don't have to. Um, so if it's really low waters and low oxygen content, but high temps, um, we we just won't go fishing. That We're not going to put those fish through that kind of stress. Um, because that kind of defeats our purpose a little bit. So we, Summers are a little rough for us, especially here in Texas, but we'll try and go find somewhere else. But, man, last summer just everywhere was a little tough.
1: But on the other side of that, that does open up a lot more time where, yeah, we're going to be indoors in the AC, so we spend a lot more time working on our social media presence or catching up on projects, custom orders that people have made. And fortunately, that helps us uh, keep from having any kind of backlog. I rarely have to tell anybody it's going to be more than a few weeks to get a build going most of that time ends up actually just being getting the parts ordered and shipped. After that, I can put them together pretty quickly. And so, yeah, I've never had to tell a customer, "Oh, yeah, it's going to be two, three, <laughs> six months before you can even think about it."
0: <laughs> well, let's get all your, you know, your Instagram and and uh, throw it all out there. Where do we find you? Like, what's the best place to look at your custom rods? What you guys are up to with Laughing Stock?
2: Yeah, our main kind of center is on Instagram for us. That's where we show our products. We do stories of our adventures, where we're going. Um, so that handle is at Fishing, and there's not too many Laughing socks. So, um, you'll find us pretty quick. Um, so that's our main one. Um, as far as what we kind of sell, you know, I do the rod socks, which is a fun side sewing project for me. The Alex builds a cool rod and I make a cool sock to go with it and total customization on that. Um, So I host them there for people to see, especially when we go to shows and people are like, Oh, what else do you do? So that laughingstockflyfishing.com is a way for us to, it's a portfolio for all the things that we have done. Um, Hmm. And then other than that, I think those are our main, main handles, I guess.
1: We have a Facebook, but tumbleweeds are blowing through it.
2: Yeah, we haven't really done too much on the I, Facebook side.
0: <laughs> Obviously, .dot com, right? You're. Or, yes, yes yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, no, for sure. So, I, I you know what I didn't ask you is the name, Laughing Stock. What's your <laughs> what's the origin of that? Is what does that mean to you guys?
1: Well, uh, so I didn't have it as big in my life, even though my family raised cattle. We did We were not big on brands here in Texas. Uh, but Holly's family, that's a very traditional thing up there. It's very important, and it's actually legal issues, if I understand correctly. And so as we were kind of talking about uh, getting married and uh, selling down and maybe getting a, a place of our own, we wanted to raise cattle. And so she was working on a brand that might incorporate our initials, which would be H&A. And so uh, we were initially pitching around ideas like, oh, we'll call it the funny farm because ha-ha, it's, <laughs> it sounds like laughter. And just when we were talking about naming this company, uh, it hit me as I was driving home one day, I just thought, well, wouldn't that be a laughing stock? And that, that sounded like a franchise to me. And so uh, that's what we decided we were going to name it. And it's been fun all the way. And so, in fact, I incorporate that into all of my fiberglass that I sell. Instead of putting a, a, a product line number, I call it our L-glass for our laughing glass. <laughs>
0: Good stuff. I always like to ask, you know, because you never know where where these yeah. names come from. It's, it's a name I noticed, and I know I started following you guys on Instagram a little while ago. Love what you're up to, and it sounds like you guys are living your best lives and uh, having a lot of fun doing it. I, I want to thank yeah. you guys. And
1: we love. Yeah, so thankful you reached out to us. This has been a lot of fun. we're
2: loving listening to your podcast so we're we're enjoying it that we actually listen to podcasts as we're working so um we are now we're on we're definitely listening to a lot of your stuff so it's great and we just can't thank you enough for bringing us on
0: yeah it's been my pleasure and this this show will be up on saturday this saturday so thanks a lot guys you've been listening tonight to a chat uh, with the folks from Laughingstock Fly Fishing out of Azle, Texas. Holly and Alex Grant, they're building some butte rods. Check them out on Instagram, Laughingstock Fly Fishing. Thanks, folks, for joining us. We'll catch you next time.
3: Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, powered by theflycrate.com, your source for all things fly fishing. Wait For It Films, featuring fly fishing videos and camera related content. Custom music from Damian Anderson and by Brokentippet.com.